Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to our number two of episode 80 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. Well, if you were watching CPAC this year, whether you were there live or... Had it on TV like I did. I was sad that I couldn't go in person. Um, then you have seen and heard our next guest, Ashley Lundvall. She was part of the Armed and Fabulous panel at the 2017 CPAC. She's a motivational and inspirational speaker, one of the founders of Wyoming Disabled Hunters, a member of the NRA's Disabled Shooting Sports Committee, and the recipient of the 2017 SCI Foundation Pathfinder Award. My goodness, you busy lady, welcome to the show, Ms. Ashley Lundball. Thank you, Cheryl. It's so good to talk to you. Oh, absolutely. My husband, Dan's my co-host. He's here with us as well. Hello, Ashley. Good morning, Dan. And you are also a mom and a wife, and I mean, you got all kinds of things filling up your time um, how do you fit it all in? What, give me, <laughs> give me some clues here so I can keep up. Oh, uh, it's all smoke and mirrors. No, <laughs> no I, I always tell people I hate being bored. And so I just do everything I can to stay as busy as possible, but there's just so many amazing opportunities out there. And I'm just thankful for each and every one that I get, but could not do any of it without an amazing support system. So very, very thankful for my husband and my daughter. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, the theme of our show today is all in the family. And it just, you know, so many different angles that, that fits. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that you're with the Wyoming Disabled Hunters and, uh, you know, with the NRA's Disabled Shooting Sports Committee. You don't seem disabled to me at all, but you do, you do use a wheelchair, so uh, you had an accident. People always want to know, you know, and I, right. I, I don't know if it's awkward for you that we ask. Um, oh, no, not at all. I love sharing my story. It's, it's so much a part of my life. And, and I think anything that we can do to share our stories to help other people be brave enough to do that as well is always a good thing. So I love talking about it. Perfect. I love that. So what, what did happen? Like, how old were you um, and, and what, what happened? I was actually uh, 16 years old back in 99 and was headed out west to Wyoming to a camp, actually. And uh, they do summer camp a little different here in Wyoming. Um, They take you to a working ranch and you learn all about taking care of the animals and taking care of the ranch itself. And there's lots of chores that need to be done. And so we were actually um, a group of us gals that were there, um, all teenagers at the time, were kind of gearing up for a big backpack trip up in the mountains. And so I'll never forget the day. It was August 2nd of 99. It was a Monday morning. Woke up really early um, there at the ranch um, right outside of Cody, Wyoming. 
and had some chores I had to get done. And so I headed down to the lower corrals. We had some steers and some horses and, and animals down there that we took care of. And so I climbed up onto a large hay rack, which is pretty much just a big log table that keeps the hay off of the ground and away from the animals. And uh, broke open a bale of hay, was pitching that down to some of the steers to feed them for that morning, and um, actually lost my balance and fell. Mm. And as I started to fall, uh, the last thing I remember thinking was throw the pitchfork. But um, unfortunately, hit my head a few times on the way down, ended up landing crossways on the wooden handle of the pitchfork that I had been using. And so um, ended up breaking my T12 vertebrae, which if you find your last rib mm-hmm. and follow that all the way around where it connects to your back, that's your T12 vertebrae and suffered a severe spinal cord injury. And uh-huh. so have been using that wheelchair now for almost 18 years. Wow. My goodness. You know, and it's, it's just the freakest accident, right? And it, it is total, total freak accident. And something obviously I never would have planned for and never thought would be a part of my life. But at the same time, it's, it's just amazing how God can use even things like that, you know, yes. that seems so tragic uh, to do wonderful things and allow us to help other people, which is, which is amazing. Well, and that you just excel at that. And I, I love it because you are so open and so approachable. And, you know, there's got to be people that feel like, well, I've had this injury. We have, unfortunately, so many of our veterans coming back from from war and they've got injuries to various parts of their their body and and they probably feel like okay my hunting days are done i don't have legs Absolutely. right or i don't have Absolutely. an arm and yet that's the easiest thing in the world to think yep yeah and here you are as a living breathing example of you know show me a hill i'm getting up it right <laughs> I, I tell people that a lot. I say I like it when people say I can't because it gives me the opportunity to hopefully show them that they can. Mm-hmm. And and while that certainly did not happen overnight for me, um, and I have a ma- like I said an amazing support system, but at the same time, I thought like a lot of people do that disability equals um, a life that's just not worth living. And so I'm so thankful for um, the opportunities that I was given to not only see well, you know, if you adapt, you can have an amazing, fully rewarding life. And the outdoors don't have to be a scary and accessible place. And so I just make that my mission now to show that same thing to other people. That's fantastic. And so like, for our listeners out there that either know someone or they themselves are having that feeling like, well, you know, I, I'm not going to put in for a tag this year or ever again because there's no way. Like, how, what do they do? Where do they go? Where do they begin to, to find the equipment? Um, which I think the, finding the equipment will just naturally help give them hope. But what, what would you say to them? I would absolutely have them reach out. Um, I think, like I said, it's very important for you to change your mindset. If you're looking for your life to look exactly the same way it did, unfortunately, that, that's not the case. And so you need to allow yourself to grieve that loss. But at the same time, if, if you can find the courage to adapt and to reach out, there are so many programs and opportunities out there that show people, you know, your life's going to look a little bit different, but that doesn't mean it has to be any less rewarding. And so I would tell people, you know, reach out to organizations like the NRA. They've just started and um, kind of restarted their adaptive shooting sport program, and they're going to be helping people not only learn to um, get involved in the shooting sports and concealed carry, but hunting as well, and, and the NRA is great with that. Um, our foundation, the Wyoming Disabled Hunter Program, we do everything we can to not only bring people here to Wyoming to hunt, but to provide them with the resources and the information that they need in order to be successful in whatever it is they would like to do. And then I love it when people reach out to me. I, I love people. I love meeting people. 
And it really is just one of my, my favorite things in the world to do to show people what's possible through the right um, organizations and the right adaptive equipment. And so really there are tons of places out there, but you do have to, to take the initiative to reach out and ask for help. And I think that's a huge step towards leading an incredibly rewarding life. Well, and knowing that, that help is available and that you're sitting here right now saying, hey, I could be that ear that you need just, just to get you over that next hump. And how do people reach out to you? Um, the best way to reach me is just to go to my website. And I know you guys will provide some information about that. But I keep it simple. It's just AshleyLunvall.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and please feel free to reach out to me. If I don't have the answer, I will find it for you. We'll connect you with the right people, whatever we can to get you. Like I said, just in order to be successful, we'll, we'll try to do whatever we can to help you out. And so we'd love to hear from anyone that's interested. And Ashley is A-S-H-L-E-E. Double E, yes. My uh, my parents wanted to make me memorable. So <laughs> first name's hard to spell and last name's not much easier. But um, fortunately, with all the opportunities we've been given recently, it's, if you Google it, something yep, will pop up yep, and will point you in the right direction. For sure. And, and I just love the way that you talk about, you know, so yeah, your life is not going to look exactly the way that you had it scripted out pre- before this the event happened, right? Whatever your event was, where your injury right. occurred. And so I follow you on social media and I see you use hashtag redefined life all the time. And I just, I I just always pause for a moment and go, that is such a great way to look at something that, you know, you could look at it as, well, it's a tragedy. I'm a victim. And instead you've turned it on its head and you said, no, it's where I'm a survivor. I've redefined, you know, I'm not done. I'm, and I'm redefining every day. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people, what they struggle with, I know I did, was just that sense of a loss of control. And what I've learned along the way is I, I call what happened to me my pitchfork moment. Obviously, mine actually involves a pitchfork, <laughs> but I feel like everyone goes through a pitchfork moment. And yeah. I mean, it's not always going to be an accident like mine, but everyone has that kind of defining moment in their life where you have to make a choice and you have to say, you know, I'm either going to redefine my life and I'm going to take that control back mm-hmm. or I'm going to let someone else redefine it for me. Right. And so I'm constantly encouraging people to, to kind of, like I said, get that sense of control back, make those decisions and just make the decision to say, you know, the one thing I do have a choice over is my attitude and how I'm going to go from here. And it's easy to say that. Obviously, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, mm-hmm. but it's definitely worth it in the end. I love it. And we have to wrap up. But I also just want to touch on the fact that, you know, people with disabilities and people that that are using walkers or they're using wheelchairs or other equipment to get around, sometimes bad guys like to look at, at that community as really vulnerable and really easy to um, do whatever it is they want to. And so finding ways to use concealed carry is important and very specific, I would think, to, to your condition. Um, do you have any quick words about, about personal protection? Absolutely. That's something that I am very passionate about. Like you mentioned, I think people look at the disability community as a vulnerable population. And women and girls specifically with disabilities are nearly twice um, at risk of being assaulted at some time during their life. And mm-hmm. so I'm a huge advocate for um, people with disabilities learning to protect themselves. That may not always mean that you're going to be comfortable carrying a firearm, and that's fine. But reach out to, um, like I said, myself, other organizations that want to help you be as safe as possible and be as independent as possible while doing so. And so certainly there are lots of different options. 
I myself do carry concealed. Um, like I said, the NRA has a great program that's teaching not only people how to safely protect themselves, but teaching instructors how to safely instruct people with disabilities. And that so, again, is. lots of opportunities out there. You just have to reach out. That is fantastic. Thank you again so much. We've been talking with Ashley Lundvall. You saw her at CPAC on the Armed and Fabulous panel, and uh, she's with the NRA Disabled Shooting Sports Committee, so many other important things. And you can find her at Ashley Lundvall, A-S-H-L-E-E-L-U-N-D-V-A-L-L dot com. Miss Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. All right. Stick around because we still have two guests lined up. One of them is uh, struggling in the state of Massachusetts just to bring a 4-H shooting program to the state. Now, every other state, save one, has this program. We're going to talk with our next guest, Mandy Devino, when we come back about what is going on in Massachusetts. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband and Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Welcome back. You are with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. We are so glad you're here with us today, but if you've missed any portion of today's show, or if you just want to binge listen and catch up on all the episodes that we have done, just go to our website, Gun Freedom 
radio.com and click on the On Demand tab. All 80 of our episodes are waiting there for you. And if you want to put a face with a voice and find out a little bit more about each one of the guests that we've had on, everybody that has been a guest has their own page. And so you click on the guest tab, you'll find a bio, you'll find links to their Facebook page, their website, any books they've written, articles that they have um, participated in, whether they've written them or whether they're about them. And uh, it's just a really great resource. So our next guest, speaking of articles that have been written about them, she's got a couple out there. Now, this is Mandy Devino. Mandy uh, fits our theme so well today, which is all in the family, because she is working in the state of Massachusetts just to bring a 4-H shooting sports program to the state. Now, all other states across this republic, except for one, and she's going to tell us which other state doesn't have it, has this program. So we're not sure what's going on in Massachusetts that they're resisting, but uh, Mandy is a shooting sports enthusiast, an avid hunter, an NRA instructor, and supporter of this 4-H shooting sports program. And we are excited to bring her on right now and find out a little bit more about what's going on over there in Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, Mandy. Well, thank you for having me, Cheryl. Absolutely. Did I say your last name right? Did I pronounce it right? Devino? It's close. Uh, we, we enunciated Devino. Devino. At one point, <laughs> yeah. At one point, my husband said it was enunciated uh, Devino, you know, years years back. I'm sure. All right. Devino. I will try not to screw that up at the, the end when I'm saying, hey, thanks for being on the show, and then say your name wrong again. I'm, I'm famous for that. So. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> so how did you start working on this, this program, this 4-H shooting sports program, trying to bring it to this resistant state of Massachusetts? That was a very nice way of putting Massachusetts <laughs> resistant. Because uh, I've got some choice words, but it's a family <laughs> show, so we'll keep it clean. Uh, this goes back to my roots, which happened to be in Wisconsin. And I grew up, uh, in a hunting and fishing, uh, family, you know, knew firearms really well, uh, was involved in 4-H and I moved out to Massachusetts with my husband for, for his job reasons. And my children were getting to that age that I wanted them to participate in a 4-H shooting sports program. Little did I know that Massachusetts and Rhode Island do not have a 4-H shooting sports program. And I couldn't let that go. But two years ago, I decided to ask the right questions. What do I need to do to get this program? And the biggest uh, hurdle was finding the funding for it. And I was uh, fortunate enough to have some connections at Division of Fish and Wildlife, sat down with them and explained to them what a 4-H program was. And a 4-H program, for those that don't know, we are a youth development uh, organization that uses programming such as the shooting sports or livestock uh, or any other um, curriculum that benefits our youth in in our country. And I did find the funding. Division of Fish and Wildlife was gracious enough to offer $60,000 for the first three years to get this program up and off the ground. And unfortunately, the powers to be at UMass decided that they did not want to be associated with a shooting sports program that was fully funded and kids, which is a shame because our mm-hmm. youth are missing out 
on a great program that's run in 48 other states and is run very well, by the way. So, so UMass, that's University of Massachusetts, I assume. So Correct. I guess they would also be against maybe teaching our kids how to swim so they'd be safe around water. Would they be against, you know, teaching our kids how to drive so that they're, you know, safe once they get out on the roads? Are, are they are they education resistant? What what's the problem here? Why is why is this a problem? Uh, the only thing I can think of is that they're afraid to make waves uh, in a liberal state such as Massachusetts. Uh, when a program pertains to firearms and firearms education and safety uh, with our youth. And they fail to recognize that the shooting force actually has one of the uh, safest uh, backgrounds and histories uh, when you compare it to programming such as uh, livestock that includes children around large animals. Uh, there's more incidences of injury in those livestock projects, and there are uh, accumulative in all 48 states mm-hmm. with the 4-H shooting force program. So y- you ask a really relevant question. What's wrong with teaching our kids something about safety, whether it's sex education, whether it's driving, whether it's swimming? We're talking about firearms. Let's face it. Firearms are not going to go anywhere in this country. Why don't we do our best to make sure that our future generations are safe? And that's what this 4-H program would provide. Um, and that's where I'm at at this moment. I'm, I'm hitting some uh, blockades when it comes to the UMass. And, um, well, so why do we need program. them? Like, why are they the decision maker? That's a great question. So 4-H is run through their state land-grant university. And unfortunately, ours happens to be UMass Amherst. And they have the ability to say yes or no to this program which is unfortunate. Uh, so I, I think we'll move along with a Division of Fish and Wildlife program. We'll work with them and Gun Owners Action League. If the university just doesn't want to take advantage of this, unfortunately, we'll, we'll have to move on. So that's where I'm at at this moment. Um, and uh, hopefully UMass will come to their senses. They say that they're coming out with a program which includes hunting, fishing, and conservation. Uh, but at the rate that they move, I'd be surprised if they had it up in a couple of years mm. or if they'll do it at all. Right. So maybe they're just going to play the I'm going to game, which, you know, sidelines you, right? Correct. And then maybe they don't actually ever develop that. So where does this passion for you come from? Why Why is this so important that you're spearheading this? Because, uh, you know, it'd be easy to spend your time doing something else. Absolutely. Uh, I have a passion when it comes to teaching firearm safety. I have two kids of my own. I grew up in a family where firearms education and safety uh, was very much instilled at us at a very young age. And I think that that's important. I love the outdoors. I love the shooting sports. I think that 4-H offers that great platform that not only teaches the kids the um, shooting sports, but it teaches them youth development. We're all about leadership, public speaking, record keeping, all of those platforms that we can um, go from with 4-H, not just shooting sports, but that overall child development. And it's gotten me where, where I am at this stage in my life because of those skills that I learned through 4-H and um, from the, the shooting sports area as well. 
I love that. So we're about out of time, but I want people to, to, to know that they can help, you know, so you don't live in Massachusetts. That's okay. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and what happens in one state can happen in, oh, and also what is the other, you said there's two states or I said there's two states that, that don't have the, the shooting program, the 4-H shooting program. What's the other one? That would be our neighbor to the south, Rhode Island. Oh, you said that. I'm sorry. I, I missed that. That's okay. And um, so how can people help you? Whether it's just moral support, because I'm sure you're getting backlash from the, the people that think guns are bad and why are you trying to endanger our children, right? Uh, or whether it's, right. you know, maybe they got a few extra dollars laying around and they want those dollars to really go to something that's going to matter. How can they help out? Uh, the best way to put um, your money to, to working and to helping would be to donate to Gun Owners Action League, and that's easy to find. We are called goal.org online. Love it. They've been instrumental in supporting me in this whole process and, and helping me get the word out about um, the bias that we're, we're seeing at the UMass level. Uh, if you'd like to contact me, you can do that on that page as well in the contact section. Just go ahead and send me a note. If you feel so inclined, you can write to uh, UMass uh, Amherst, if you write to the uh, Dean of Natural Sciences, and let him know, you know, we're not happy with this, or tell him about an experience that you've had if you have children in the 4-H shooting force or have been a member yourself. Let them know how great this program is and that it does include leadership training uh, among the shooting force training as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for all that you're doing to help protect our children in the future and teach them responsibility and gun safety. And uh, I'm going to check back in with you in a while and see how it is going there in in Massachusetts. And I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend who connected us, and that would be Mr. Charlie Cook of uh, Writing Shotgun with Charlie. So I I really appreciate him introducing uh, us to one another. And uh, keep up the good fight there. Miss Mandy DeVino of Gun Owners Action League, G-O-A-L. Check her out, G-O-A-L dot, uh, dot org, right, Mandy? Correct, yes. All right. Thank you so much, Mandy. Thank you. Devino. Did I say it right? You said it right. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, dear. Thank you, Mandy. Bye-bye now. Okay, Bye-bye. stick around because we have the one, the only founder of Black Guns Matter, Mr. Maj Ture, coming up right after this. Talking about all kind of things, including a little secret. You're hearing it here first. He's coming to the Phoenix area to come to azfirearms.com in early May. Stick around. Hey, everybody. This is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting 
military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you... The Second Amendment Foundation is the organization that protects our right to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Now they need our help. Go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation today. Dedicated to promoting a better understanding of our constitutional heritage to privately own and possess firearms. Support those who support our Second Amendment rights today. That's saf.org. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. I want to dive right into our next guest. I'm always excited when we have this gentleman on, Maj Ture. Now, Maj is the founder of a group called Black Guns Matter, and I'm telling you, one of the hardest working guys you will ever want to meet. If you follow him on any of the social media platforms, sometimes it's wall-to-wall Maj, and you're making me tired, Maj, but welcome to the show. <laughs> are you with Hello, us? Daryl, how are you? Oh, fantastic. Dan's here, too. You're welcome to the show, Maj. Good to see you. Hey, what's up, Dan? Nothing. So we have a little bit of bragging to do on you, sir. I mean, not only have you been doing tons of media, which we'll get to, but you just had a sold-out class. Where was that? Uh, the last sold-out one was in Philly a few days ago. Oh, the last? Oh, I'm behind the times. Well, oh, holy... Are you talking about Denver? I didn't know Denver sold out. I was thinking of the one in, in Philadelphia. That's right there in your own hometown, right? Yeah, it was amazing. A lot of people came out, a lot of beginners, first-time shooters. They were able to put their hands on firearms, shoot for the first time in their lives. Um, we had different demographics, family members, you know, women 60, 70 years old that never touched a firearm before. It was amazing. We had it over at the range, which is on Percy Street. It, it just, it was a great experience. So, Marge, these people that are brand new at shooting, do they shoot the gun, run, and go away, or do they, <laughs> do they like what they're doing? They love what they're doing. One of one of the, one of the uh, young ladies was like, "I'm afraid in the beginning," and you know the range safety officer just walked her through it. And after she was like, "Oh, oh, I, I want to go again," you know. <laughs> that's <And> awesome. So, <laughs> the funny thing is, that's actually how most people respond. You you know, the media might tell you like they'll just go, "Oh my God, this is not for me." But ninety percent of the people that I interact with after they shoot the first time, you know, they got the shooting bug, and that's a great thing. Right, and we just want to remind people that when you do that, when you take a new shooter out. Start them out easy and, and, and teach them, right? Yep. We, we start all of our new shooters with twenty two caliber just because, you know, depending on the person's, you know, body weight, body hand size, all of those different things, uh, that caliber is very little recoil or what some people would call kickback. So 
we usually start everybody with 22. As they progress a little bit, we'll move up to nine. And usually at nine millimeter, people, you know, they take their time. And then as they progress, as they learn more, they just kind of want to try a 40 or 45 cal out. But that's usually a lot later. But starting slow, getting people acclimated, stance, you know, breath control, um, where to hold, things like that. You know, those are very, you know, basic things that over time people see that, okay, they see the improvement. And, and once you're on the path, like I said, it's, you know, you're down the rabbit hole. That is fantastic. You are opening doors for people of every age. When you talk to me about, you know, women in their, what you say, 60s that are com- mm-hmm. coming out and handling a firearm for the first time, that takes an incredible amount of trust. You have instilled right. an incredible amount of trust in these people to be able to open themselves in that way to try something that out of the norm. So what? how do you do that? What is that well, that allows you into their psyche in that way? They trust. The, they, most of the people that come that are newbies in different age brackets from the same spaces that I'm from. The drawbacks for the Second Amendment community, and some of it is either self-imposed or media-imposed. There's a there's an incorrect stereotype that has has been you know per, per, pervading that oh gun stores gun shops don't like people of color don't like urban people don't like white people from urban demographics and that's that's the furthest thing from the truth. Um, what, what tends to happen is the person goes into a gun store gun range and doesn't know the protocol doesn't know the language and doesn't humble themselves enough to say hey, this is my first time, especially guys. Yeah. Our egos are out of this roof. Yeah. So we don't say, hey, I don't know anything about guns. Can you please help me? What usually happens is sometimes people say, oh, let me see the clip. Or they'll, you know, even though the gun's unloaded, the fire, you know, the pistol's unloaded, the person will point the firearm at the guy behind the counter or a woman behind the oh counter. And they, that can be frustrating because you just don't know certain things. But mm-hmm. With us, because we come from the same demographic, and a lot of my friends are criminals. I mean, let's just be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. They're good guys, but they've been convicted of things that, you know, people have said, oh, these are horrible things. I have friends that have sold a lot of weed, and they, they're technically they're felons, but they're the best people that you want to meet. Right. But at the same time, these guys will, you know, give you the shirt off of their back. They've been, you know, uh, convicted of doing. Oh, I think we lost you. Shoot, I think we lost him. Uh, we might have lost the signal. Um, well, while he's uh, reconnecting, you know, it's so true what he's saying is that he's going into an area where, um, you know, there's a lot of people. And, and I think what he's saying to people is, okay, I know you guys like guns. Now let's learn how to do them safely. Let's learn how to do them legally and therefore expanding people's horizons well cheryl what i see is you know we've had a gun shop for 10 years and we're not in the best of area in arizona right you know and we have all different types of people come into the store all right so i think we've got him back on so you were talking yeah, about your friends yeah, and that's okay so yeah. your, your friends that you know they've they've done some things and whatnot and go from there yeah and when they when they come around us and we're saying listen you may have been convicted of things you know but at the same time, I need you to get this knowledge. Or even people that haven't been, complete newbies that are, have no record ever in their life. Those people will say, okay, I, I'm trusting you because you're from my environment and you know what the pros and cons of, you know, distru- violating distrust is. Right. So they feel comfortable, and that's the biggest key. You know, that's, you, you have to reach 
new people in a space where they feel comfortable and then allow them, you know, let the range instructors or people that are far more intelligent about training than you allow those people to do the job. And it it sounds like an assembly line, but it almost is. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that people are put on the assembly line properly and they're being cared for properly until they're able to, you know, walk down that assembly line themselves at their own least. Mars, you know, you mentioned about people and their and the way they act. Uh, you know, we've had a gun shop for ten years, and I get all different types of people that come into our in our store. And you know, it's what gets me is the is how they how they present themselves. It's not who they are. It's just if if they are pointing guns at you, or if they come in, they're smelling of weed. These kind of things. Right. It it's not an attractive way to. Walk into a right. gun shop. So teaching right. people the language and teaching people uh, how to safely handle a gun is is the key, and I agree with that. Right, and I think sometimes what happens is because they don't know the language, and then when they learn the language, and then they go back into a store and have a totally different uh, experience, when that happens, they go, oh, because I want to be very clear. There are racist things that happen, obviously, in America, but mm-hmm. everything is not racist. Some right. of it is just you didn't know what you were talking about. And that person <laughs> exposed that you didn't know what you were talking about. Right. And that guy happened to be a, Hello? Or you act like a fool, right? Right, right. And if you act like a fool, okay, well, uh, I'm going to, you're a fool. You know, so when you learn that language, like you said, and when there's a scenario where you're more in- involved or evolved, then you start to see, oh, okay, that's not what that person was doing. You know, and that happens a lot of times. And then by learning the language and knowing the things that are racist as opposed to the things that aren't, which are just your ignorance, you're better equipped to fight the things that are actual injustice. And a lot of those, it, 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 what we're doing is having far-reaching ramifications because we're opening people up to different viewpoints. We're helping them sharpen themselves and, and, and what become more well-rounded as citizens so they can fight across injustices or knock back injustice. And it's, I mean, it's, as cheesy as it sounds, it's beautiful. Right. Well, and so the thing is that you're talking about the public, teaching the public, but at the same time you're modeling for people that work in the industry, in gun stores, on ranges, because, you know, people on our side of the counter, because we have a retail gun store, we do a lot of dumb stuff too, because, you know, we if we don't have the heart of a servant, a heart of a teacher, then we can unnecessarily intimidate people on the yep. other side of the counter you know, we've yep. got to we got to meet them at their point of need and at their level of, of knowledge. Um, yep. So uh, you are modeling that beautifully. And, you know, it's not all about, you know, well, I'm the best shooter there is. And, you know, all that kind of macho garbage. Um, mm-hmm. And I've never heard or seen you do one bit of that. And so I I admire that you're you are speaking to two audiences, whether you realized it or not. I think you do. Mm-hmm. But I just right. wanted to point that out. Well, you know, Thank I- you, number one, for appreciate for recognizing that. But yes, it is it is an attempt because my job is to make sure that I'm getting the hood involved and understood. But at the same time, I'm around gun store owners, I'm around range owners very regularly, and there's a a, a social uh, disconnect that happens a lot of times. Or, for example, someone would think that someone that you know. Um, I wear hoodies all of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yo, that does not mean that I'm I'm a thug <laughs> or I'm a criminal. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's like that's part of the reason why we chose hoodies for you know a, a large portion of our you know our, our apparel. It's because we got to break those stereotypes. We have to break those stereotypes. And yeah, it does. I pull those same you know two way guys or gun guys to the side, and I'm like, listen, no one cares about your three thousand dollar AR build in this room. Mm-hmm. No one cares. Mm-hmm. No one. No one cares about how great you can shoot. This person that you're talking to has had a trauma because of ignorance via firearms. We got to get them on that path and pass the trauma first. What about a $3,000? Maj, I wear uh, shorts, socks, and and sandals, but that doesn't mean I'm an old man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know. We've been married 32 years. It might be a little old. I don't know. (laughs) But... uh, but no, that's uh, that is so. Now, one thing I will say that in our area, there is a certain uh, fashion sense that's going on where you know people have their 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 pants don't fit real well. Let's put it that way, and so they're they're right. constantly reaching at their waistband and and pulling them up right. and tugging them. Now, when you're on our side of the counter on the retail counter, right. that right. makes us very nervous because we don't right. know what you're doing. We we because, watch your hands. You're going to your waistband. Because yes. You see your hands. I'm the same way. If I'm, if I'm in North Philly at three o'clock in the morning, don't make a furtive movement around. Me. Yeah. Do not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and again, that language and explaining that, and which is a, a, a core component of of our class, translating that for both sides. Like you said, if y'all are on that side of the counter, and I keep reaching for my waistband, that is what are you doing? That's where the guns are. Like right. in our mind, that's where your gun is. Why are you doing that? You know, and explaining that to someone that, again, a lot of times we don't, in the hood, you might not have a holster. You know what I mean? It might be in our, for, for that case, it might be in our pocket mm-hmm. or in our hood. So we don't even understand that this, there's a disconnect there from my side. Like, why was they nervous? I was just pulling my pants up. Because in this world, as you become more responsible, you got an inside the waistband or outside the waistband holster. And you reaching at the area where your holster would be. And then, and then has- that light clicks. Nothing to and do with the color goes. of their skin. It has, right. but that's how it could be perceived. Here, here's so another, now I'm a racist because I'm watching your hands right. and you're making me nervous. Right. Here's another whammy. Right. Here's another one. Okay, so I go into a gun shop. I don't like going to a gun shop by myself because I, for some reason, I just don't feel comfortable going into a gun Which shop by weird. myself. Which is weird. You've been Which around I'm, guns your whole life. I know. I'm a little sissy. <laughs> but however, so I can understand other people might have that same feeling walking into a mom and pa shop, going by themselves. So what they do is they bring five of their friends. Now, the five people don't know how to handle guns. They've got their, you know, and it could be anything. It could be uh, rednecks that are, you know. It has nothing to do with the color of their skin. We have every type of person comes in our store, and we base it on how they they talk to us and react, not by who they are. So. it's it's really hard. So we are on alert no matter if you come in with a suit or you come in with saggy right. pants. We are on right. alert. And if you reach for your your pocket your and it's not to get your wallet out to give us some money, <laughs> we are going right. to be cautious of that. Right. And if you're right. pointing the guns, we had an incident last week, five people came in, and they're pointing the guns at each other. Oh, right. And I'm thinking, you know, this has got to stop. Yeah. We, we, they have you know, no, they, they don't understand the, the cardinal rules of, Right. 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 But you're you know teaching that. And you're we, teaching it. Thank we are you. so excited. We're ex- so yeah. excited that we're having you out. We're going to be hosting you in May. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. One, for one, uh, number one, 
it's the desert, and I heard that there's a pool everywhere, so I'm hyped and excited for that. <laughs> there certainly is. Now, one, I'm nervous because I don't know that we have a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts, and I know that you got to have that Dunkin' Donuts coffee, or life isn't going to go real well. So I'm it's not going to go right. Listen, <laughs> we I have to double down on whatever other type of brand that is available, and I do not do Starbucks. Okay. So we okay. Well, we I, have. I usually create like a map of where are the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> In the sounds that I'm coming to. We have them. I Don't worry it. about it. We also have lots of places to shoot, like yes. cannons and stuff. Mm. We might have to take See, you that's out. another thing about uh, Arizona is very, it's a lot more, you know, it's a desert. Mm-hmm. So it's always in a desert. So there's a lot more freedom in that sense. You know, what we're trying to do is make sure that that same level of freedom and respect for firearms is in places like a Philadelphia, where, you know, it's technically a city of the first class because it's over a million inhabitants. You know, and that's where they usually put the concentration of restrictive and unconstitutional gun laws. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it, is it is it that, okay, magically in Phoenix, you know, if, if you know, if there's a ton of ranges, magically if it's in Philadelphia, the, the, the human is somehow different. And that's just not true. It's not and true. our goal is to make sure that people understand that, hey, these are infringements. Mm-hmm. These are infringements on your natural right to self-defense. The founding fathers of this country prophetically Wrote that out in a couple of documents that you might heard of, you know, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I might have heard of you those. Know, and those things aren't taught. And, they, you know, they're taking civics out of the schools, especially public schools. Mm. So if you can't find and identify with, you know, your nation, your country, the place where you have citizenship, because you, don't, you feel disenfranchised, it's real easy to take control or take advantage of those people. Our job is to make sure yeah. that, just like in Phoenix, where there's plenty of ranges and places to shoot and good weather and good times, and it's not a... Uh, an amazing amount of homicides. Those same realities can be in urban, you know, inner city environments. And I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic of, of how many people have been latching on to the message. And you know, we haven't, we haven't gotten very, you know, any pushback for the most part. You know, That's Maj, amazing. I also want to add. You know, you had mentioned to me that you knew, you've met people that uh, have marijuana charges and they become felons and they can't really possess their own guns. And I look at that and I go, you know, a lot of people. When they learn about the Constitution, they learn about firearms handling, they can get their rights restored. And it might yep. put them on that path to do that. It might give them an incentive to do that, to know, hey, I got a right to protect myself if I'm not a felon. I got a right. right. So I'm going to earn my way back to society and the right. rights. And here's, here's the thing about that if jail is the punishment for the crime, mm-hmm. then if we're sending people to jail for the crime for however many years, there's no guns in jail. Why are we hamstringing them from local voting when they come home? Mm-hmm. Why are we hamstringing them from the natural right to self-defense when they come home? That's a great question. They already did their time, right? They did the time. Right. I so go to jail. There's no, I'm not handling guns in jail because mm-hmm. there's no guns in jail. Mm-hmm. My time and my punishment as a jury of my peers decided I'm going to jail for this amount of time. I'm going, I want to get back, and I want to get back into the, the swing of being a citizen, not a, a second-class citizen. And that and now, if, now, if some governmental bodies or people would like to tell, you know, people that have had made mistakes or poor choices that somehow now they're second-class citizens, I would like for them to say that so we can be very straight up front with it because that's exactly what's happening. You're, you're now providing scenarios where, you know, people that have made, you know, again, if we're talking about marijuana, there's a movement right now to make sure that if you're involved in marijuana, it's on the 4473. 
Right. You know, if you're involved in marijuana, you're n- you you now don't have the right to defend yourself. And we're not talking about people that are, you know, smoking and then going to go shoot. Right. Yeah. We're not right. talking about that. It's no different than there's bars and you drink, but don't get drunk and get behind the, the wheel. Right. You know, so, you know, there's a movement now to, to criminalize people in states that have said, hey, we the people of Colorado want marijuana to be legal, fully legal. We the people of Massachusetts want it to be totally legal. Now we're saying that those people do not have the right to defend themselves by the Second Amendment. And I want to get right ahead of that and make sure that we're uh, linking up with, you know, organizations to make sure that that's not what's happening. Marge, do you think that maybe that society thinks that once a criminal, always a criminal? I don't believe in that myself. But we see that people go to prison and then they get out and they go back in prison again. And a lot of that's because they don't get the opportunities that we have. But exactly. it is a big, it is a big question. I think it's a great question that you have, but right. who, what, the answer is is not simple. No, and you're gonna it's have not, well, no. I think I think it's I think it's not simple now, but it can be simple. Mm-hmm. I what? think that there I think that there are people that are trying to make it more and more convoluted. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make it more and more convoluted because they have a vested interest in having the American people be enslaved. Right. Mm. I've said this. Numerous times. These, there are people that want to maintain the lion's share of resources and have everyone else fighting each other, whether it's race, whether it's class, whether it's political divide, whatever that is. So all of these people don't group together and go, hey, wait a minute. Wait, you only had 10% of the wealth? Or we only had 10% of the wealth? Well, where's the other 90% going? Mm-hmm. And then now you have people paying attention to, hey, you guys have been keeping us divided so you can have the lion's share of the wealth. That's what's happening to me. Right. Well, you, you know, know so. Maj, I, I feel that there should be two different, well, there are different classes of felonies, but there should be two different consequences. For a nonviolent felon, they should have the opportunity to own a firearm. Right. It's right. the violent ones and the repetitive violent felon right. that I'm concerned with having a firearm. Right, and I would agree with you there. If, you, if you're shooting and robbing you know, little old ladies and you do your time, I, I don't know, until you've been thoroughly rehabilitated, because then we, we pose that question. Right. Well, is prison about rehabilitation, or is it about just keeping the money going? It's not rehabilitation. It's so, not. It doesn't fix them. Hmm. Right. So with that being the case, if you do your time and if you're successfully rehabilitated, okay, we give you a probationary period, and you stay out of that. Just like, a, again, you get a DUI. You know, you okay, you can't drive for a certain amount of time. Handle yourself properly and respect this privilege, not even a right. Not even a right. It's mm-hmm. a privilege. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you do that. You do that. Oh, man, I had to take the class. I'm not. I'm rehabilitated. I know what I could have done or what damages I could have done. I'm not doing that anymore. That person straightens up and flies right. Okay. Now, if that's that, given that way, with a right, with a privilege, excuse me, now you're dealing with a human right. Mm-hmm. So now you're having me ask for my right back that you didn't even give me. <laughs> I have a natural-born right. You you can't give me as the government. You actually work for me. I don't work for you. You know, so these are the types of things and opening conversations and getting people to get out of even those stigmas that are necessary to get it back to firearm gun control. It's racist in its inception, mm-hmm. and it's now spreading into an enslavement and stopping the American people from defending themselves, and it's not right. The NFA needs to be repealed. The Hughes Act, all of these different things. Mm-hmm. These are things that are infringement. And for whatever reason, our forefathers or predecessors allowed it to go down. We are in a glorious moment where we can not only repeal, but maintain our 
human rights. And that's, that's, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to put all of my energy into that because telling somebody because they have, and it's too contradictory, telling somebody because they smoked a, round, a ground up flower mm-hmm. and not getting behind a firearm mm-hmm. is because they did it in their own leisure as an adult, as a responsible citizen in their own home legally. Right. Now somehow you don't have the right to pr- protect yourself is game. It's another form of infringement, and we got to get ahead of the curve on that. And then we can start knocking back some of the things that were behind the curve. On. Right. So you look at the, the marijuana laws. If you smoke marijuana, you use marijuana, you can't buy a firearm, but yet it's legal in Colorado and other states. And so it's yep. contradictory on itself. So I agree with you on that. I'm not a, I'm not a smoker of marijuana. And yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, it's no different. It's no different than alcohol. So what's next? If you drink alcohol, you can't have a firearm. Well, and that's kind of where my brain's going. So if somebody walks into our store, and that darn clock is ticking, so we're going to run out of time soon. But if they walk into our store, they get ready to pay for a firearm, and we see their their medical marijuana card, we have to stop mm-hmm. the sale, right? Yep. So so how does that really make sense? And do people understand that they are trading? On that, I don't think they understand yep. that they're trading their right to defend their their life because they have this uh, medical condition that that they are using this ground up flower to help with, right? So, right. how does it make sense that I am predetermining that they aren't responsible enough not to to combine those two things, like you're <clears throat> saying, Maj? How I'm right. I'm saying that oh I know for sure you're gonna use your green uh, marijuana card and the gun at the same time. Now at home, mind you, I have an entire bar stocked with every kind of liquor you can imagine, yep. and yet I'm I'm allowed to have my firearm and that liquor in the same household at the same time, and and I'm seen as responsible enough to be able to sort that out for right. myself. And and that's the contradiction that we're exposing because a lot of the hoods smoke weed. A lot of my friends smoke a lot of weed and it's like we got to get ahead of that because they'll try to use anything that they can to try to further to prevent you from exercising your, your god-given right. right you know and when you express when we express that because i talk about it a lot of my team was like y'all man i don't know if we can talk about that no we are going to talk about it because we see it coming down the pike mm-hmm. you know and okay so you're also saying that someone that owns a dispensary has the right to have a firearm because they're in the business because it generates money and that's where it comes back down to we have to let the people, you know, the, the, our government, to the, the government elected officials understand that, one, we hire you. Two, it's not going to just be about money. It's going to be the will of the people. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to tell us. Marijuana at a certain point was legal. Mm-hmm. And it came, it's, it's the, it, the similarities are very eerie. Some racist guy literally said, I think that mar- smoking marijuana makes white women want to sing and sleep with Negro jazz musicians. <laughs> It doesn't work. <laughs> that is literally the onstart of marijuana uh, prohibition. And everybody goes, yes, that makes perfect sense. Let's make it illegal. What, how, what is the matter with us, honestly? Because fear. Yeah. And we have to be fearless in our attack of it and exposing it. And when mm. we say it that simply, people go, that's stupid. That's not real. But when it's, when it's kept separate. Mm-hmm. When it's when when we're letting the opposition, the anti-constitutional people, the anti-gun people, determine those issues, those same guys that say they're anti-gun, but they got, they security all has firearms. Mm-hmm. When we when we you know expose those you know men and women for what they're doing, the general public, the people get get on our side because it's not it's not a hard argument. You just right. going, 
okay. So this person that can drink is okay, but this person that can smoke isn't okay. Uh-huh. And we're assuming that because this person's got it in the house, they're going to smoke and then get right behind the machine gun. No. Well, and you know, yeah, so. and it's a cultural thing. You know, they're trying to change right. the culture where you know guns are bad, where you know this ground-up flour is bad, and the people that do it are a certain class of people, and and yep. it really is something that we we get too numb to. And I think you're right. helping us narrow in and 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 put a name to what's going on out there. And we right. do have to wrap up, but. Thank you so much for for coming on with us and taking time from being on, oh, what, Hannity you've been on. (laughs) Pardon me, you've been on Fox Business. Um, You're an NRA contributor to America's First Freedom. You know, so you're kind of big time now. A few little things. A few little things here. (laughs) I love it. But then he's been on our show, too. Well, that's true. That's true. That's the the big thing. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're awesome. Thank you for all you do. Uh, We look forward to seeing you and actually getting to meet in person in May here in Arizona. Uh, when we come out to AZ Firearms, we've been talking with Maj Tare, the founder of Black Guns Matter. Thank you, Maj. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you all soon. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that was too good to cut to commercial and too good to, uh, you know, cut him <coughs> off and do our responsible armed citizen and Dan's commentary. Um, so we're just going to hold those over, the ones we had planned for the next show, um, because, man, when we should just block a whole show out and talk to Maj, don't you think? Oh, easy. So, all right. Well, we do have to run, but thank you so much to our amazing blade behind the 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 knobs and the the phones and the everything else that you do over there blade you're awesome thank you thank you to our listeners thank you to our amazing guests and until next time pray for our nation pray for our leaders all of them all of them dan even the ones you don't like all right especially the ones (laughs) thank you james I love it. We can't go a show without having the James Brown punctuation. That's fantastic. Uh, So, yes, be good to each other. Have a great week, and God bless. Our founding fathers here in this country brought about the only true revolution that has ever taken place in man's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another set of rulers. But only here... Did that little band of men so advanced beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free.